Okay, uh, welcome back to the Roommates podcast. Um, I'm very pleased to be joined by Zoe Clark this week. Um, I've had a little bit of a break from recording Roommates podcasts for various reasons. One, I've been busy, and two, um, uh, my colleague Mike, that's usually on this, is, has also been busy uh, becoming a father. So uh, congratulations to him. Um, but um, I wanted to get Zoe on to chat about a number of different things. We haven't got a specific remit to talk about today, but. Um, She's an interesting character and also does a lot of rheumatology work as well. So immediately becomes top of my list to talk to. Um, so I'm going to start off by getting Zoe to introduce herself and then it will be immediately apparent why she's interesting. And then um, we'll crack on and talk about some various different things. Um, osteopathy for um, spondyloarthritis and other rheumatology conditions, whether there's any differences between osteopaths and physios and chiros and all the other professionals and stuff. Um, and we'll see where the conversation leads us. So um, do you want to just introduce yourself to the many millions of listeners that I have on this podcast? And um, we'll uh, we'll go from there, Zoe. Absolutely. Um, well, firstly, thanks for having me. It's, I'm really excited for this conversation, see where it takes us. Um, yeah, as you said, uh, I'm an osteopath. I um, do specialise in axial spondyloarthritis and I teach um, manual therapists and osteopaths more about axial spar, both recognising it and treating it. Um, and I also have some insider knowledge because I have AS myself and I started getting symptoms while I was training to be an osteopath as well. So quite a while. Yeah, great. And um, you were telling me just before we came on to record that you've also started working with um, NAS as well now, the National Axial Spondyloarthritis Society. Um, tell us just a little bit about what you do for them, because obviously that crosses over really as patient advocacy. You can wear both of those hats for one of a better term. Absolutely. So it started in the first lockdown here in the UK and um, we're putting together Facebook live sessions for patients on all different topics to do with managing your axial spa, particularly because we knew that so many routine appointments had to be cancelled and you know, clinics all changed. So we were looking at kind of filling that gap and helping patients get through that time. Um, and then since then, we are piloting some self-management sessions, running them directly through the hospitals and their rheumatology clinics. So the work with NASA I find really rewarding. Um, it's separate to my osteopathy work. It's my general healthcare professional uh, hat. But um, yeah, it's good as well to bring in my personal experience um, and can really kind of empathise and, and really find key topics that I think people really need at the moment. Yeah, perfect. And I think um, what's really interesting as well, I've done a couple of talks relatively recently about women in axial spondyloarthritis and how we realise that there are differences between how women will present and men. And there's a longer delay to diagnosis. We don't need to bash on about that. But I just wondered uh, if you're happy to talk about your own experience, whether you feel like you mirrored a traditional axial spondyloarthritis or whether you feel like you erred on the female for phenotype for one of a better better term um as you sort of started with symptoms yeah absolutely i definitely was not a textbook as <laughs> presentation great <laughs> <laughs> yeah definitely the more kind of widespread pain um more peripheral involvement um and then when i did start getting more spinal involvement it was much more kind of thoracic pain costochondritis um and yeah lots of flare-ups kind of moved around wasn't very specific so yeah, I definitely was not the textbook easy diagnosis to make. Um, but it um, it's definitely something I'm passionate about, I think, because of that. So, yeah, I think a lot of work, as you said, needs to be done in that area. Um, but, yeah, I think hopefully it's helped kind of inform the work I'm doing now. Yeah, perfect. And and 
going over to obviously the osteopathy side, do you feel like um, obviously you won't have experienced like a physiotherapy degree because you did the osteopathy degree, but how do you feel like that set you up for helping uh, manage patients as well? So, you know, with your advocacy work that you're doing with NAS, but also treating them, do you feel like that gave you a good grounding or do you feel like it was more the fact that you went through it that actually means that you've, you know, able to help people better? That's interesting. I think it would probably be a bit of both because I think one of the the things that I'm lucky with as an osteopath and certainly in private practice um, is that I have a lot of time with patients. Um, and I think with axial spar and any long term or rheumatological condition, the longer you can have with someone and really kind of get to know them, know their symptoms, their lifestyle and everything and really kind of help them with that all round management, I think mm. is really important. Um, so, yeah, the way that I work, certainly, I think, is shaped around that in that I'll take my time with people and um, isn't I, you know, I'm not just a manual therapist doing some hands on treatment and then patients are out the door. It's very much kind of, you know, the treatment sometimes can provide that window of opportunity, then that patients can self manage better. So I think it has shaped my work quite a lot. Yeah, perfect. So I wondered if you wouldn't mind taking us a little bit through the um, the general things that you might do with someone who comes to see you sort of early early on like they've just been they've been diagnosed they've had it for a little while uh they're relatively well managed on medications and stuff so i tend to have like a hierarchy of things that i would do and um i'm rubbish at hands-on things um and i'm not really that good at exercise prescription so i tend to go for advice uh general health and then sort of exercise um i wondered if you have sort of the same um hierarchy of stuff that you would do with people or how do you generally obviously everybody's an individual but sort of in general terms how would you sort of approach those patients for rehab so I actually do quite little manual therapy with axial spar patients and, and rheumatological patients in general because I generally find you just end up potentially flaring up areas um so manual therapy comes kind of around the middle I'd say um definitely advice and education is right up at the top um and really kind of empowering patients as well to you know especially with the language that we use um so right from the get-go I'll try and um sort of you know give the patient the information that then they can help manage themselves um I do do a fair amount of exercise prescription as well but you know as you said that's very individualized depending on the patient you know if someone's already really active um and doing everything that's going to be less relevant um and then in terms of annual therapy I'd normally um treat maybe locally some areas that are you know either flaring or um kind of prone to flaring um and yeah it, the very osteopathic answer is that it depends really <laughs> Yeah, no, that's fair enough. And I do think it's obviously you take it on a patient, individual patient basis. And some people, you know, I remember from when I used to run AS clinics, we would you'd have the first patient in the door would be going, you know, my Achilles tendon flares up once I've run 20 miles. And then the next patient comes in same age and they can't go to work and then the net you know it's very very variable so it, it does need to be taken on a on an individual basis how much um with regards to when you uh, teach osteopaths and um engage with osteopaths how much do you feel that like, as a general rule they've got a good grasp on those um sort of non uh, therapy side of things so the exercise ignoring the exercise prescription and the manual therapy how how well do you think they manage with the general health advice uh functional advice those kind of things because i certainly find that um physios are pretty good but they don't know the specifics if that makes sense um so i just wondered if you had any comments on osteopaths specifically with that right with that 
Um, I say generally osteopaths cover this with kind of all patients because we in our training we kind of we do look at the whole picture we look at lifestyle and everything that feeds into it so I'd say that um, you know even in general MSK presentations it's something we put quite a lot of focus on um, and then yeah in terms of through the training I think I mean obviously there's a, a bias towards people having a bit less knowledge hence why they're coming to the training um, but yeah generally there's fairly good knowledge but maybe not that specific knowledge on axial spar and maybe still with some of the the myths persisting like like even you know when to use hot and cold and things like that so there's definitely there's work to be done but I think it's they've got a good grasp on it on the whole I'd say yeah no that's really good um the reason I ask some of these questions is a trend I find on the courses that I run is I get mostly physiotherapists and then the rest are sort of filled with chiropractors and sports therapists and I don't really see osteopaths in my um on my courses and I I don't know whether that's because I don't reach osteopaths or something about me puts them off, um, which is quite possible. But um, I just wondered, you know, do you find that yours, be it when you teach because you are an osteopath, do you fill your courses with osteopaths? Um, is that, do you think we gravitate towards our own professions? I think so. Yeah, we're pretty much 90% osteopaths. Mm. Um, my colleague, Andrew, does do some CPD courses with a uh, consultant physio. Um so we do kind of we try and mix, you know, with other professions because I think there's a lot you know to be learned from each other. Um, but yeah, absolutely. I think because we tend to be in the social media groups of osteopaths and things like that, we've already got that connection there. Um, mm. Yeah, it's, I think it's probably better if we could branch out more. But how we do that, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I suppose you don't. You it's hard. I mean, it's one of those things, isn't it? Social media sort of allows you to connect with anybody, but you do tend to gravitate to people you know or that people you communicate the same way as, don't you? Or um, it's easy. I always find it's easier to talk to physiotherapists because I have that experience of what they've been through to a degree with with regards to their teaching and stuff. Um, and then it's like. I, I was teaching to soft tissue therapists last night and I felt like I had to spend a lot of time thinking about how I would pitch the material and how I would generate that course. Whereas if physiotherapists, I can turn up five minutes before and I can give two hours talk without really batting an eyelid. Um, so it is interesting. and I do think we need to cross professions a lot more. Um, one of the things that we talked about before we came on air was about the manual therapy side of things. And one of the reasons I wanted to talk to you really was because I'm trying to address my biases. I, I'm a bit biased against manual therapy because I'm rubbish at it. Um, and because we see a lot of manual therapy bashing on Twitter and social media and things. And a lot of people do manual therapies and a lot of patients report a lot of benefit from manual therapies. So you said about trying to, you know, try not to flare areas up. But you in, in spondylitis, do you find anything that does particularly respond nicely to to any manual therapy type interventions or is it more like the type of patient um you know if they've got a particular desire for that do you, is there anything you can sort of shine a light on there really yeah i do you do tend to get um some patients who come and they do respond really well to manual therapy you get the occasional patient where you know you kind of almost throw out your kind of spa textbook in your head because you know when you treat them they don't feel like they've got any kind of inflammatory arthritis and they respond really well to fairly strong manual therapy um so there are a few kind of outliers like that but I would say on the whole we tend to get people who may not have tried it before and they want to just try something and see if it helps um they may have tried you know acupuncture and, and other things like that I mean one thing I would say 
definitely in terms of manual therapies and no HVTs for, for people yeah. that as far, which yeah, I know you'll, you'll agree with. Um, that's something we're constantly shouting about as much as we can. Um, yeah, I hope that's answered your question. I feel like I deviated. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I suppose if, so let's say, um, let's say you've got a patient who has loads and loads of spinal stiffness, for example. So less pain, more stiffness. Do you find that then, because this is where I, this is where I start to bash my head up against the wall, because um, there isn't really a difference in the disease process. It's just the sort of the symptoms that the person's exhibiting. So then I'm like, well, if, why wouldn't I apply that intervention for stiffness when I would for pain or the other way around? I hope I'm making sense here. Um, But equally, I feel like if manual therapy's got a place, it's going to be to try and reduce that that feeling of stiffness because it's going to add that mobility to the to the area in whatever fashion it might do. Do you find anything like that at all where even subconsciously you go, oh, there's a lot of stiffness. Let's, we'll try a little bit of this and see if it helps. Yeah, I mean, stiffness is probably one of the biggest symptoms I think that we can help with with manual therapy. Um, I think the key that I find is that um, with any kind of joint mobilizations, like uh, we tend, I tend to do much more kind of rhythmic movements and working on quite broad areas. So you're not sometimes, especially with kind of specific manual therapies, you can end up really hyper focused on particular joints, which you know we we know we can't isolate joints anyway. Um, but yeah, focus on much more broad movements um, and really kind of. I think part of the help with that is that you can show patients that they can move into those ranges of movement. So if it's more there's there's fear going on there or localised muscle tightness that's causing that stiffness, I think it can be a really good way of introducing the movement safely. And then that helps when patients are then doing it in their day-to-day life or in their exercises as well. Um, and the main thing really is just I avoid kind of going right into those barriers or into any pain um, or right at the end range of movement because that's when you tend to then get the, re- the reaction to it. Yeah, for sure. I've always been against the high volume stuff in these patients because they increase risk in osteoporosis. And I'm like, you know, what what's the benefit? Yeah, <laughs> hands off, absolutely. Um, what's the benefit in in trying that that sort of technique? Because you could do so many other things that you could do beforehand. Do you do you find because there's this other thing that I think as well where patients will self select in the way that, like you said, they've not tried manual therapy before. So they go, okay, let's go see an osteopath then. And I suppose chiropractors are probably on the same spectrum here. Whereas they might go, there's a different thought process where they go, oh, I've been told exercise is really good. So maybe a physio would be the best place to go or a sports therapist might be the best place to go. So do you find that you're not turning patients away, but you're, you're sort of try, trying to get them away from manual therapies at all because they've self-selected to your clinics um it, and, and as you said you're trying to create this narrative that they need to self-manage but do you ever find that that's a particular issue because you are an osteopath that's an interesting question um i mean yeah we definitely get majority of patients come in they're expecting mm. hands-on treatment and clicking and everything um yeah, I think the biggest challenge sometimes is explaining to patients if they don't need a manipulation or if it's not appropriate um, and they've come in with that preconceived idea. Um, and yeah, that can be difficult at times. And I do think we get more patients who come in expecting the manual therapy side. Um, I am, <laughs> I've lost my train of thought now. <laughs> um, I can't think where I was going with that. Um, yeah, I think we do tend to get patients who are focused on manual therapy. And I think sometimes it can be difficult to win patients over 
to the more exercise and self-management based. But I think, again, that comes back to having the time with patients where we can really explain kind of the reasoning behind it. Um, you know, and it's not like I'm prescribing exercises and they've got to adhere to them. It's, it's very much kind of working with them on that as well. Yeah, and I suppose it's about, um, like you said, the, those specific you do need to be quite specific with your education with a lot of these patients I've found in uh, it's not enough to say exercise is really beneficial because they just go why yeah. <laughs> and you see you have, and then you have to you do have to talk about inflammation and, and systemic inflammation and what's sort of happening at a joint level and as you pointed out they've got these multiple areas potentially where which are affected and as soon as you go oh you need to do more exercise they go well my feet hurt you go well that's okay we can exercise without using the feet too much um but it's it can be difficult at times for that to to manage their again their expectations and their understanding specifics matter especially in in this cohort I I was wondering about um your experience we'll go back to um women versus men if you don't mind women versus men is a terrible turn of phrase isn't it women compared to men with their their um, um presentations where do you feel, I know you've done some work recently around awareness of in osteopaths of, of the spondylitis conditions, but where do you, do you see that there is a disparity still in this understanding between how females might present versus how men might present? Um, and, and if you don't mind trying to comment on how we move forwards with that as a cohort. Yeah, absolutely. So there is definitely still the the misconception that women don't get AS um, among kind of the osteopathic and, and chiropractic professions, like across you know even the general public and other healthcare professionals, um, we ran um, with NAS as part of the NAS Allies program. We ran a survey of osteopaths and chiropractors on the knowledge of axial spar, and granted it was a small sample that we that we got, but only a third recognised that axial spar is as common in women as it is in men. So even from a small sample, we can see there's definitely that misconception still there. Um, and I think as well because from that survey, we found, survey we found that the knowledge is fairly good in terms of AS, but in terms of axial spar and non radiographic axial spar you know, there's just not as good knowledge or awareness around it. Um, and of course, with more women, women having those conditions, I think it is a big area where, where it's missing, really. So I think um, I think we need to look at it in terms of kind of both postgraduate people and like the work we're doing in terms of getting the CPD out there, getting the up-to-date knowledge and the research. But also, I think, also looking at undergraduate um, level as well and making sure that you know, they're thinking about it in clinic all the time because it's a common condition. They know the differences between men and women's presentation. And um, I always think that inflammatory conditions need to be kind of top of the list with your red flags that you're ruling out all the time, not, oh, I've seen this person for a few sessions, they're not getting better. Could it be something like that? So I think especially for women as well. Yeah, it's really difficult, isn't it? Um, to, how do you How do you educate an entire health force because as you said i mean there's research that shows it there's lack of understanding in gps and uh, ophthalmology gastroenterology physio and with you guys osteopaths and chiropractors and, and your survey as well i think you you'll probably have overestimated because that would be a self-selecting survey people would a lot more likely to to um to complete that because they think they know about spondyloarthritis so that's really interesting um that it's even even that recently still so pervasive um and it's this delay to diagnosis is obviously a big problem um and we need to get sort of on top of that um we talked about um you know 
how we educate and and you run webinars i run i run webinars and courses and stuff um maybe you can answer this maybe you can't but what sort of um nas doing at the moment to um elevate the uh, understanding within healthcare professionals uh, of these conditions is there any any good projects going on or in the pipeline that we should keep an eye out for yeah, definitely keep an eye out for sort of June onwards. I can't really say much. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to get told off. Um, but yeah, there's definitely lots of work going on um, and really exciting work. And I say that as a healthcare professional and someone with AS as well. It's mm. yeah, really encouraging sort of the work that's going on across all different healthcare professionals and the public and everything. So yeah, very exciting work coming up. <laughs> Brilliant. Yeah. So keep an eye on, um, we'll talk about social media later. We can talk about that in a minute, but yeah, keep an eye on Zoe's Twitter feed and mine as well, because I'm sure I'll get tagged in it and get tagged in most things these days, which is quite good. Um, and we'll push those out. I mean, NASA's um, campaigns in the past, there was uh, Back Pain Plus One a few years ago, which I really liked. Um, they do tend to do really sensible things. It's not like a, um, it's not some scattergun approach. They're really quite targeted, which is, I find them very, they're, of the groups that I've ever worked with, they do tend to be really good for their for their um, their creation of of awareness materials. Absolutely. Um, yeah, great. Um, cool. Anything else that you sort of wanted to touch on, or you want to let anything that you want people that might be listening to know about um, Axbar AS, etc., from your point of view, that we could do with telling them. Um, I suppose for any osteopaths or chiropractors listening, I'd point them to NAS Allies on the NAS website. Um, because as a follow-up to the survey, we put together a referral template letter. So it has the, the NICE guidelines on and it helps you link to the SPADE tool as well. So any patients who you think may have axial spar, you can fill in that template letter to send to the GP to get the investigations done. And it's now been validated by the Royal College of GPs and the CSP as well. So it is a real kind of cross-group um, way to, to help get that. You know, get awesome. Into yeah. Yeah. My... Um good friend rob uh, bevan will be delighted about that he keeps bugging me about um about referral letters <laughs> so that'll be good he rob if you're listening you can go there and find a referral letter that you can send off oh that's really cool um yeah and, and so just before we finish up then where where can we find more about you your webinars if there are osteopaths chiros physios by all means will be ha- um welcome on your courses as well where where can we find more about you Absolutely. Yeah, everyone's welcome. Just get the word out. <laughs> um, so uh, we are Educate and Advocate Training. So that's eandatraining.co.uk and we're across all socials. Um, and I'm on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, Zoe Clark Osteo or Zoe the Osteo. Um, yeah, just generally spreading the word. Brilliant. Great. Well, thank you very much for spending 35 minutes or so with me on an, of an evening. And um, it was very nice to speak to you. And hopefully we can do some work together in the future and um, and keep doing interesting things and i was correct you are a very interesting person so thank you for uh for coming and being on the roommates podcast and um yeah and um hopefully people will listen to this and um do a bit more about learning about axial spondyloarthritis and um get that delay to diagnosis down a little bit absolutely brilliant thanks a lot zoe thanks 